We are the paradoxical ape. Bipedal, naked, large-brained. Long the master of fire, tools, and language, but still trying to understand ourselves. Aware that death is inevitable, yet filled with optimism. We grow up slowly. We hand down knowledge. We empathize and deceive. We shape the future from our shared understanding of the past. Carta brings together experts from diverse disciplines to exchange insights on who we are and how we got here. An exploration made possible by the generosity of humans like you. that we have been interested in over the past 25 or so years is how do brains in evolution get bigger? And to put the question in a bit more specific terms, what underlies the evolutionary increase in the number of neurons that are generated in cortical development? And as you heard from the previous speakers, this reflects the activity of cortical stem and progenitor cells. And the answer how you get more neurons formed is simple. All you need is an increased and prolonged proliferation of these cortical stem cells. But the key question is, what underlies the differences across species? Why do we have more neurons than, say, the macaque or the chimp? Let me give you a very brief introduction to these stem cells. What you see here is a developing mouse uh, brain and the neocortex forms from a structure called the dorsolateral telencephalon that is shown here in the box and shown here at greater magnification. And what has fascinated me as a cell biologist over the years is that this cortical wall, this developing cortical wall, has polarity. It has an apical side, as you heard from previous speakers, and a basal side. And the process of making neurons is a strict apical to basal process in which progenitors that form the primary germinal layer, the ventricular zone, progenitors that we collectively call apical progenitors, but notably the apical or ventricular radial glia, these progenitors do not make many neurons, but rather generate a secondary class of progenitors that form the secondary layer of the germinal zone called the subventricular zone. We call these collectively basal progenitors, and there are two major types, the basal or outer radial glia and basal intermediate progenitors. And in an important paper from Colette High and colleagues, it was shown that in more highly developed brains, the outer subventricular zone is very characteristic, and it is very highly populated by basal radial glial cells. So these are the ones implicated in cortical expansion. And there is actually a cell biological reason why these progenitors have advantages to expand the cortex. The apical progenitors 
because of their cell biological nature, can divide only at the ventricle. And that's a very limited space. In contrast, the basal progenitors can divide anywhere in the subventricular zone. They, they can thicken the subventricular zone. And this is a huge advantage if one wants to maximize the number of cell divisions. And this is the reason why cortical expansion is linked to basal progenitor abundance and proliferation. So a few years ago, we decided then to embark on a search for human-specific genes that would do two things, increase basal progenitor generation and also induce or promote basal progenitor proliferation. And when I say we, I talk about an outstanding PhD student in the lab, Marta Florio. What Marta has uh, developed is a cell biological approach to isolate these various, these two major classes of stem cells. This is a cartoon of the developing cortical wall, and you can label the apical side with an antibody against a protein called prominent one, and the basal side with a membrane dye that diffuses in the plasma membrane called dye I. And with this approach, you get a dual labeling of the apical radial glia and a single labeling of the basal radial glia such that the ARGs would be blue and red and the BRGs in the mouse would only be red. Now the neurons would also be red, but in the mouse you have a transgenic mouse line that where the neurons are in addition green and we can sort them away. So we get relatively pure populations. In humans, this is more complicated, and so we focused our attention to those cells that had duplicated the DNA, which turns them into progenitors. So the ARGs are blue plus red, the BRGs are red only, but please note that the BRGs in the G1 phase of the cell cycle, so before they duplicate the DNA, would be recovered in the neuron fraction shown here, and in fact, we know that about 10% um, of the cells in the neuron fraction are these cells. And this will become important, as you will see in a minute. What Mata then did was she isolated these cell populations and determined the transcriptome and um, went for those genes that are highly expressed in the stem cells and found a total of about 400 such genes that were highly expressed in the basal and apical radial glia but very low in the neurons. She then eliminated from these roughly 400 genes those which were also expressed in the mouse stem cells, which brought the number down to 266. And then of these, she again eliminated those that were also expressed in the human neurons, or human cortical plate, which brought the number down to 263. These 263 genes come in two classes. 207 have an ortholog in the mouse genome but the gene is not expressed in the mouse stem cells. And 56 have no ortholog in the mouse genome, but exist, of course, in the human genome. These were, for us, the more interesting ones. And now remember that we, had, we noticed by the approach of our uh, way of isolating these cells that 10% of the cells in the neuron fraction would actually be uh, the stem cells, the basal radi radial glia, so we introduced another filter and asked which of these 56 genes is at least tenfold more highly expressed in the stem cells than in the neurons. And amazingly, that reduced the number down to one. This one gene um, has this pattern of expression. It is highly expressed in the apical and basal radial glia. And this is the contamination, if you wish, of the BRGs 
in G1 in the neuron fraction. This gene is called RGAP11B, and as I said, it is specifically expressed in human but not mouse, apical and basal radial glia but not neurons. This gene is interesting for several reasons. One is um, what it, how it arose. Um, it arose, as was first shown by Ivan Eichler, who's actually here in the audience, um, as a product of a partial duplication of a ubiquitous gene called RGAP11A, which encodes a specific enzyme-like protein called a rho GTPase activating protein. But it has, in contrast to the mother gene, it does not have the gap domain in full, but it has a novel sequence here at the C-terminal end of 47 amino acids, which are actually also specific to humans. Now, this sequence comes about because 55 nucleotides shown here in purple, which are present in 11A, are actually not present in 11B, and this leads to a reading frame shift and this new green protein sequence shown here. And the other reason why this gene is interesting is when it arose in evolution. As was shown by Ivan Eichler, but also by my friend and colleague Svante Pebo, who cannot be here today, unfortunately, it arose about five million years ago, after the lineage that leads to the chimpanzee segregated from the lineage that leads to us. But before the lineage that leads to the Neanderthals segregated from the lineage that leads to us. And as you know, Neanderthal brains were at least as big as ours. So we have here a gene that is expressed in the right stem cell at the right time of development, and that is only found in those hominids with 1.3 liter to 1.4 liter brains. So the obvious question was, would that gene increase brain size or increase neuron number in a model system, the mouse? And this is what Marta investigated by expressing the gene by a technique that we call in utero electroporation. And to make a long story short, what she found was that when you express this human-specific gene in the mouse-developing neocortex, it triples the number of mitotically active basal progenitors, so the progenitors implicated in neocortex expansion. So it increases these progenitors, but there are two ways how it can do that. Um, either you make more of these progenitors from the apical radial glia, or you increase the proliferation of these basal progenitors once formed. And we solved this, or we studied this issue, and made use of a method that Elena Taverna developed. Elena, like Marta, is also from Milan. And you can believe me, these are such outstanding people that whenever I get an application from Milan, I accept it. <laughs> so what Elena developed was a technique where she micro-injects in organotypic slices into the apical radial glia. So here you see the slice, and here you see the pipette. And basically, she injects blind, but the pipette is filled with fluorescent dextran, and so you can identify the injected cell and very accurately trace what happens to the daughter cells and granddaughter cells of this cell after one cell cycle or two cell cycles. And what Elena could show, and I'll just summarize these data, is the following. She showed that when you stick in this human-specific gene, you would change the mode of division of the AIG cell to a style where it immediately gives rise to two basal progenitors. That is good, but it's also bad, unless these basal progenitors would keep on dividing. And that is, in fact, the second thing that RGAP11B does. Normally in the mouse, one of these basal progenitors 
will make two neurons, but in the presence of 11b, it will now keep on proliferating. So this is what we found in the mouse. Um, Nereo Kalevich um, very recently expressed this human-specific gene not in the mouse, but in the ferret, a carnivore with a folded brain. And uh, when he does that, he found that also in the ferret, um, 11b massively increases the basal progenitors, but interestingly, it very dramatically increases the basal radial glia, which is not what happened in the mouse, but in the ferret, it, it increases the relevant basal progenitor type. And importantly, these basal radial glial cells have markers that are very correct, characteristic of the human state rather than the mouse state or the ferret state. So the other question we ask is whether 11b can induce folding of the mouse neocortex, which normally is an unfolded brain. So when we elect a parade, we have always a control side, which is smooth, as shown here. And then we can stick it in the gene, and we see where it is expressed by the green color. And when we look five days after sticking this human-specific gene into a developing mouse brain, we actually see that folds can arise in about half of the embryos that are expressing this gene. And here is another case um, uh, where you have the electroporated area, and you see these folds in the mouse developing cortex, which are somewhat reminiscent of the folds that happen in a fetal human brain shown here. The question is, how does 11b achieve these effects? Is it, like the gene from which it arose, 11a, a row gap question mark? And so a postdoc, fantastic postdoc from Japan, Takashi Namba, took on that question, made various constructs, the mother gene 11a, a full gap domain of 11a, a truncated gap domain of 11b, and a modern 11b form, and asked which of these exhibits row gap activity, and the answer is these upper two ones do, and these bottom ones, including 11b, do not. And we actually know that the ability of um, 11b to amplify basal progenitors is tightly linked to the existence of this new green human-specific sequence. Question then was, can the evolutionary increase in brain size um, in us be explained by RGAP 11b? And there we have a problem. Because as I said, Ivan Eichler and Spante showed that this gene arose about five million years ago, but at five million years ago, our brains were small. The big increase in brain size happens later. But we now have at least an interesting um, possibility of explaining this um, enigma. And this has to do with the question how this loss of the 55 nucleotides that gives rise to the reading frame shift and the new sequence actually comes about. When we started this work, we thought that as the gene duplicated, it, these 55 nucleotides got lost at the level of the genomic DNA. But when we looked more closely, we actually noticed that the genomic DNA of 11b contains these 55 nucleotides. What's happening is something much more interesting. What you see here is in the top the sequence of 11a, and this is the spliced donor site, the site where one coding sequence is moved and so spliced onto the next one. Now, in 11b, there is a point mutation, a C to a G, which creates a new spliced donor site. And when this is taken, the 55 nucleotides here are removed, and that induces 
the shift in the reading frame because it truncates the coding region of exon 5 and um, when that splice together to a messenger RNA, then you get a new protein sequence. So this human-specific sequence is caused by a single nucleotide splice mutation. This raised a very interesting explanation, or at least a possibility, and that is that RGAP11b arose as a, with a full gap domain and having this activity five million years ago, and then later, but before the Neanderthals branched off from our lineage, later a point mutation takes place which gives this protein a new function, or this gene a new function. So Marta investigated this possibility by creating what we call an ancestral RGAP11b. So it is a, a gene that is essentially, or a cDNA that is essentially identical to modern 11b, except that it doesn't have the G, but the C. So it cannot make the green sequence, but makes this kind of a protein. And we then asked the question, will this ancestral 11b exhibit row gap activity? And so Takashi again made various constructs and tested their possible activity in an assay in which a decrease in phosphorylation is indicative of um, row gap activity. And as you can see, um, the modern 11b does not exhibit row gap activity, but the ancestral 11b, like the 11a, exhibits row gap activity. Next question then was, would this um, RGAP11b increase basal progenitors? And again, by in utero electroporation into mice, in contrast to the modern 11b, which increases basal progenitors, the ancestral 11b is unable to do so. So we have a rather interesting situation as follows. We have a single C to G base substitution, which creates a new splice donor site in 11b. That leads to the loss of the 55 nucleotides as the messenger RNA is made. That causes a reading frame shift. That leads to a human-specific carboxyterminal sequence that is key for basal progenitor amplification, we believe. So if RGAP11b should have contributed to the um, increase in the evolutionary increase in brain size in humans and Neanderthals, it would have done so by a single point mutation. And with that, I would just like to acknowledge my collaborators, Marta, who is now a postdoc in Boston, with significant help from Mareike Albert, Takashi Namba, and Elena Taverna, and Nereo Kalevich, who did the ferret work that I briefly mentioned. This is Dresden at night, and uh, these are people in my lab I didn't have time to mention. These are people who have left the lab. This is the famous Zemper opera. I'm not over time yet, I notice. Um, and we have the good fortune of collaborating with Svante Pebo, very beautiful collaboration with him. The fetal tissue is given to us by Robert Lachmann and Pauline Wimberger. And we have a lot of bioinformatics support from Michael Hiller. And these are present collaborators outside of Dresden and Leipzig. And this is the reconstructed church in Dresden. Uh, and I don't mention this people's work on Prominent, but I would like to acknowledge our support by the Max Planck Society, the German Research Foundation, and the European Research Council. And with that, I thank you for your attention. And I'm curious which questions you will write down. Thank you.